I've been going through the book of John, and uh, right now I kind of faded off last week about midway through chapter 9, but uh, where we fall in chapter number 10, if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter number 10. But uh, where John 10 kind of falls is uh, uh, a good break, and when it deals with the shepherd and all things therein that are associated with it, so... Uh, I thought it would fit right in, and we could kind of move on. I know your pastor is working through uh, discipleship on Wednesday nights, and that's something that, that he needs to do. <laughs> and uh, But uh, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here, and we appreciate uh, uh, Brother Will and Carmen and his family, and thankful for Blue Creek, thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. I'll say this in the outstart. Will knows this about me. Uh, my teaching gets kind of preachy, um, so I'm... I'll, I'll I'll try and stop and pause uh, for some conversation. If you really want to say something, just throw a book at me and raise your hand or something, and I'll stop. But um, John ten, like we say, we're dealing with right here, and uh, <clears throat> um, there there's a there's a lot of context and history behind how we got where we are now, uh, and the motif that uh, that that John carries forward uh, out of the book of Exodus. But I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to call it the first 18 verses so we can kind of understand what's going on right here. I know we will never probably cover that many. How long do we got, Will? Okay. All right. I got a good two in me, so. <laughs> John 10, uh, verse number one. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, The same is the thief and the robber, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not the things which were uh, things. Uh, they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, uh, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. <clears throat> but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I, lay down my, uh, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment gave, uh, have I received of my Father. Our Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for this privilege, honor, and opportunity to read and study thy word tonight. We pray, God, that we'd be good stewards over thy word, that we would treat it carefully and prayerfully. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we wouldn't speak out of turn, but we would speak of the Spirit of God. We pray that you would instruct our hearts and our minds. God, give us utterance and deliverance. Uh, God, that we might read, study, understand prayerfully. Um, Lord, let the word change us. Let us not change the word. Uh, God, as we go tonight, Father, watch over us, keep us and care for us. Bless those that's uh, been made mention of tonight, God. We know that there's many uh, across this globe and this world that's, that's hurting, uh, that's sick, that are wounded, that are suffering. And we pray, God, that you would be the God of comfort to them tonight. Watch over us, keep us and care for us. We thank you and praise you for what you do. If we ask it in Christ's name, amen. All right. As we get into this right here, like I said, there, there's a lot of history that goes into this, and uh, <clears throat> we, we talked uh, a little bit last week, and I know that you didn't listen, uh, but uh, in the week before, there's, there's a lot of I am statements that carry forward uh, from the book of John, 
And just to cover briefly, because John chapter 10 is one of those when Jesus makes the claim uh, uh, that I am the door, right? So he is the shepherd, he is the door. Uh, but the I am statements, uh, predominantly, they flow from um, a primary context in, in John chapter number 8 and verse number 58. Uh, the Bible says this, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And the I am declaration that he makes right here, uh, we, we see this, it, it kind of flows from everywhere. Uh, but he makes the declaration in John 6, 35, 41, 48, 51, that he is the bread of life. In John 8, 12, 9, and 5, that he's the light of the world. Uh, in John uh, 10 and 7, that he's the good shepherd. Um, and then we get to uh, John eleven twenty five, where he is the resurrection and the life, where we deal with that with Mary and Martha. Uh, and of course, we all know John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so that's where he makes those declarations. And then we get into John 15 where he also says that I am the vine. And that will carry forward. But as we get into this right here, Jesus is, is primarily uh, and independently dealing with the fact that he makes the declaration. He says, I am uh, the shepherd of the sheep. Okay? And when he makes the declaration that he is the shepherd of the sheep, not only is he... Uh, stop there, but he goes forward and he says, I am the door of the sheepfold that houses uh, the sheep. So we see a lot of ecclesiology that Christ brings into this in John uh, chapter number 10. This is where primarily we, we build a lot of construct of our church and our modern ecclesiology and how we serve and what the, uh, what the office and, and the job of a pastor is. Um, and when we evaluate this, uh, primarily there's three things that come to the forefront that he guides, that he guards, and then he grows. Those are the three, uh, those are the tertiary things that the, the scripture speaks about that is the focal point of the shepherd. Okay, now is he really the shepherd? Is the pastor, the preachers, uh, is he really the shepherd of the church? And, and we, we deal with it a lot of times in ecclesiology and we'll say that he is the under shepherd. And the reason that he's called the under shepherd. Uh, is because the chief shepherd is Jesus Christ, all right? So he is our authority. He is our leadership. He should guide us in all ways, truths, paths of holiness and righteousness and everything that we ever do or we lay hands to in the church. But he is our guide. He is our standard. But nevertheless, all right, now I'm just going to spool back right here and we're just going to walk through this verse by verse. And like I said, if you uh, want to say something, uh, please do. But so we back up to verse number one. The Bible says, Verily, verily, and of course we see a double amen. Okay, so this is uh, calling to attention uh, a declaration that Jesus is speaking something. Uh, and not only is he speaking something, but he's speaking something meaningful and he wants you to take heed and pay attention to. But he says, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and the robber. And now. Uh, just uh, get a visual, a visual representation, I guess, of what we're dealing with with a sheepfold. Um, you know, I guess you might want to relate it today to something we would uh, liken it to, maybe a hog pen, right? So it was something that uh, uh, it, it was constructed. You know, we might use fence today, but uh, uh, in these days and times, most likely it was laid block wall that had a, a vine flurry that grew, that grew upon the top of it and that, uh, that hid the rock wall. Uh, that kind of suppressed it and hopefully blended it into the vegetation. All right, now the door that we perceive of is the door that we have right here. We have an opening, we call them case openings, and we hang doors inside the case openings. Well, the sheepfold had no door. There was no door that swung in, swung out. It was an opening, okay? And the shepherd stood uh, in the midst of the doorway, and especially at nighttime, he would take his staff, he would place it, in the middle of the sheepfold that would gather the sheep uh, and they would gather in from the lambs out uh, and as they gathered in from the lambs out the the shepherd or the porter would lay down at the door okay and there was no entrance in or in or out uh, unless you climbed over the wall and the bible tells us right here he says anybody that comes in any other way he said i liken him unto a thief and a robber and this is speaking primarily to the singular access that we have into the sheepfold and it only comes one way. This is the primary point of this passage is to, for us to understand that there is one way into heaven. Okay? 
so we get into Acts chapter number 4. The Bible tells us, as Luke writes to us, he says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay? Uh, this is not for negotiation. This is not up for contractual agreement. This is a necessity whereby we must comply uh, to meet the merits and the parameters of the gospel. There is no other way other than Jesus Christ. So this is the primary context of the scripture that we get to right here. And he says that this is a sheepfold. And he said, listen, you're welcome to come into the sheepfold, but you must come through the shepherd. And also, aside from this, uh, and we'll get into this, and I'm going to jump down to this just briefly. I'm going to grab this in verse 9. If you just want to look down at verse 9, I'm not skipping everything in between, but I think it's important to bring up while we're talking about the context of the shepherd. But in verse 9, the Bible tells us, it says, I am the door... By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, okay, and shall go in and out and find pasture. So uh, uh, any other time in, in the Greek New Testament when we look and we see uh, where, 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 where we're dealing with salvation, right, uh, it's the Greek word soteria, okay, S-O-T-E-R-I-A. Uh, so when we see the word soteria, we know that it is some kind of salvific relationship that Christ is dealing primarily with redemption uh, in and through His sacrifice. And we see that word used a lot of times through the Scripture. But here uniquely in verse number 9, the word saved is the word sozine, okay? And it's only used in six other places. And I've got these six other places listed if you want to know or if you even care. Uh, but it's in John 3, 17, 5, 34, 11, 12, 12, uh, uh, 12, 27, and verse number 47 of this same uh, chapter. But I want to read to you uh, out of John 3, 17, because this is a very familiar passage, right? We all know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Okay, and uh, I, I don't want to stop right there and say this. When we, when we use the term loved in the, in the English language, we use love really in primarily only one context, right? Now it can be taken out of context, right? But we have other definitions for that, don't we, Patrick? Listen, when we say that somebody's not in love, we might say that they are in lust, right? And, and we have different words that we can use. In the Greek language we have right here in the English Bible, when it's translated, there's three Greek words that we have. We have philo, uh, we have theos, and then, of course, we have agape, Okay, so we have a brotherly love, uh, or it's not theos, but eros. So we have uh, a philo, which we, we derives the word Philadelphia, and that's why they're called uh, the place of brotherly love. All right, that's where that comes from. Uh, so we have a friendly type love. We have an eros. What does that come from? The English translation of that is erotic. Okay, uh, so we know where that comes from. That is a lustful uh, use of the term. Then we have agape. Okay, and the term agape comes uh, from a selfless, self-giving love that loves expecting nothing in return. Okay, and when Christ loved expecting nothing in return, that's what he was used in the context of John chapter number 3 and verse 16, when God so loved the world, okay? So when God unyieldingly loved the world, He loved the world, and that word world is cosmos, which is the first, the second, the third heaven, okay? So that encompasses all things that we could ever think, ask, or imagine within our minds. So the Bible tells us that God loved. He didn't hate. God loved the world, he loved the world in, in, in an unreciprocal sense. So what does that mean? That He loved us unyieldingly, and He loved us with no expectation of love in return. Okay? And not only did He love us, He loved every man, woman, boy, and girl. And it's not only limited to, uh, to all humanity, it's, it's also extended to the creation. I'll let you, Pastor, deal with that. For, the, for God so loved the world that He gave. Okay? I'm going to tell you something. When we read the gospel, the gospel does not say this. N.T. Wright says this. The gospel does not say, for God so hated the world that He killed His only begotten Son. The Bible does say that He loved the world so much that He gave Him. Okay? That's what the Bible is telling us in Romans chapter number 5 and 8. But God commendeth His love toward us. And that word commend, if you'll see there, Paul explicitly used the word commend and not command because this is a contrast between the old covenant and the new. In the old covenant, there were commandments. There were thou shouts. Okay? But in Romans 5 and 8, Paul changed the verbiage intentionally and he said, God commendeth. What does commend mean? This is not a thou shout. This is an offering. 
Okay? But God commendeth his love toward us, his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners. Okay? Now there's a lot of people today, and I apologize, run a little rabbit hole here. There's a lot of people today, they, they have this opinion, they've formulated this opinion in their minds, and I believe that it is, uh, that it, it, I'm telling you something, it's bench-stricken. I, I like to use this. A lot of times we use the term bedridden. I believe the church has been bench-stricken. Okay? I, listen, and what I mean by that is, is we're so paralyzed by our own state of righteousness that we can't see the glorious righteousness of the justification of the ransom of our King of Heaven, Jesus Christ. We're so centrally focused on ourselves and our own righteousness and what we have done and what we haven't done or trying to make Christ love us more that we are bench stricken. Amen? Listen, our hands are tied. We never see our hands lift anymore. We never see the altars filled anymore. We never see tears pour anymore. I'm telling you something, it's a faint distant memory in my mind hearing the old lady shout and wave the handkerchiefs. Amen. Uh, Friends, we talk about it. I'm not, listen, I'm beyond talking about it. I want to experience it. Amen. Friends, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I have an experiential knowledge in my own life. I've seen it. That's what John wrote to us in the first chapter of the book of John. He said, the things which we have seen, the things that we've heard, and the things which we've handled of the word of life. Friends, listen. He said, I want you to remember these things by the stirring up of your pure minds. Listen, this is what it's going to take, I believe, uh, for a turn. And I believe the turn is going to have to come uh, when the church stops being bench-stricken and we stop realizing that it's not of our own self-will and righteousness. And why am I saying all this? Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Okay? Let's frame that in context. Okay, I want you to think about the, the most vile, wicked, abominable thought, action, or deed in your own life. Maybe you've hid it from your wife. Maybe you've hid it from your husband. Maybe you've hid it from mother and daddy, grandmother and grandfather. Maybe, listen, you've hid it from your children. It's the deepest, darkest, vilest, contrived, uh, listen, wicked sin that abides and dwells in your body. Okay? I'm going to tell you something. Christ didn't die for you. The day that you come up to an altar and you repented and you believed and you received the grace of God, Christ died for you in that moment in time when that most wicked, vile, abominable moment was present. That's when He loved you the most. Not when you were good. But He loved you when you were wicked. Okay? So in the state of a sinner is when Christ loved us. And when we understand our freedom, our freedom in justification, our freedom in sanctification, and our freedom in a one day glorification by being in Christ. Okay? Uh, And listen, this is what this all plays into. Because now, I've talked all about this in Romans 5, 8, and and that came from verse number 9 where we use this where this one Greek word is used only on other six other occasions, and it's all confined uh, to the Gospel of John. Uh, but this word, so, so easy, uh, listen, it, it, it connotates a guardian. Okay? So Christ is our guardian. He is our King. Okay, so I stand inside the sheepfold. Let's talk about this one thing. I told you I'd get a little preachy. Let's talk about this one thing. Let's talk about sheep, okay? Uh, let's talk about the worthlessness of sheep, okay? Yeah. They're probably the most idiotic animals in the kingdom, right? Yeah. Uh, listen, when they get lost, well, listen, when a horse strays from the barn, he'll find his way back. Listen to me. I've had dogs I've tried to run off, and I can't get rid of them, okay? They always come back home. You take a cat 10 miles down the road, and somehow three days later he'll show up. Okay, but a sheep, on the other hand, uh, listen. When it strays, it it never turns around because it does not know where home is. Okay, so friends, listen to me. The significance of this is talking about the worthlessness of a sheep. Now, listen. Is there worthiness to a sheep? Yes, and I'm going to get there in just a few minutes. But I'm talking about the worthlessness of a sheep right now, friends. Listen. There's nothing uh, imperative about them. And listen, if you'll notice this. Uh, when we talk about sheep in the singular or in the plural, they're always sheep. There's not sheeps, right? 
They're sheep. There's one sheep or there's a herd of sheep. Okay? Uh, and friends, listen, they're all identified. Why they, why they primarily identified this way is because primarily they always maintain themselves in a herd. Okay? Because they are so vulnerable independently. Okay? So vulnerable independently. So friends, listen, what was the author or the pastor of Hebrews identifying when he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? What's the necessity, preacher? What's the necessity that we go to church? Because a strayed sheep away from the guardian is in grave, grave danger. The Bible teaches us to herd together. Cecil Reeves, my pastor, uh, 25 years ago, he made this comment, and I've never forgot it. Uh, but he listened. He said, uh, listen, you pick up uh, one stick, walking through the woods, you pick up one stick, it's easily broken. He said, but you pick up a bundle of sticks, and he said, it's almost impenetrable. Right? Friends, listen to me. If we go down here, uh, listen, we come to the first little sapling that we come to. We go up, I don't know, 10 feet high, and we cut a limb off. And we cut that limb off. Even if it's green, it can be broken. But grab a hold of the trunk of a sapling that's five or six inches around and try and break it off from the root. Friends, listen to me. And when we understand, when we understand who we are, who the sheep of God are. Now, listen, we've talked about their worthlessness. And let's talk about their worthiness, Right? Uh, so what are their coats good for? Their coats are good for comfort. Their coats are good for nourishment, for warmth and sustainability. They're good for meat. They're good for milk. Amen. Uh, friends, listen to me. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something. This is what we should be uh, as elders and leaders in the church. And this, listen, I, I believe, uh, I, I, I want to say this, I, I, and I'm thankful of this. The, the, the most, uh, listen, scholarship aside, I want to say this. The most influential Bible teacher I ever had in my entire life was Mandy's grandmother, Miss Annie Ruth Stowers. She was the most wise woman that I had ever been around in the Word of God when I first told my preacher calling. She spent hours and hours and hours pouring into me. Uh, personally, I would go to her house and we would study the Word of God. I'd friend some of the greatest times in my life sitting in her living room reading through the Word of God. And, and listen, I'm telling you, she could read the Word of God and start shouting in her own living room. That's when you know the Word of God is precious, right? When it becomes something that you absolutely cannot live without. And that's what we need in our churches. We need milk. We need, to be, we need to be providing milk, amen. We need to be providing milk to the young converts. We need to be providing meat uh, to those that are well-aged, amen. And if you're a 50-year saved Christian and you're still on the milk, that's not my fault. That's not your pastor's fault. That's not your previous pastor's fault. You know whose fault it is? Yours. Own it, amen. Uh, friends, listen to me. How do I change it? Listen, we have to grow into the Word of God. Amen? I use this analogy often. Uh, listen, if you go to the doctor, you've been losing weight, uncontrollably losing weight. Right? You're, you're losing weight. Uh, you, you, your hunger pains are painstaking. You have no energy. You're drying up by the day. This has been going on for weeks. And you go to the doctor and, and you say, Doctor, I believe that I'm dying. And the first question the doctor asks you is he says, have you been eating? And you say, well, no, I haven't been eating. And the doctor says, well, there's no medicine going to cure what I can't provide for you. So friends, listen to me. That's what I'm telling you. We have placed all the burden, all the obligation. And listen, I thank God for the times and opportunities. Uh, listen, when I can come in and help and shore up the pastors, and I thank God for this good, wonderful young man of God, and I hope you get behind him, amen, uh, because a shepherd is a leader, right? Uh, listen, uh, Adrian Rogers said this, if a leader doesn't lead, uh, listen, if he leads, you should follow him. If he doesn't lead, you should fire him, <laughs> okay? Amen? Uh, listen to me, because that's what we need today, and we need leadership. Where do we need to take leadership from? We need to take leadership from the Word of God, not from everything else, from the Word of God, primarily and singularly. This is our absolute, is the Word of God.
But listen, you go to the doctor and you, and the do, and, and you tell the doctor, said, no, I hadn't been eating. He said, well, that's your whole problem. There's nothing I can do, you, do for you. There's nothing I can prescribe to you. There's nothing that I can, there's no test that I can run. You need to eat, right? It's the absolute necessity of every born-again Christian. Amen. What is it? He said, listen, we beg God and we beg God. We pray and we pray and we pray and we get down and we weep and we cry. We say, God, speak to me. And he says, son, I have. Amen. Amen. Listen, we, we, go to the, we go to the altar weeping, begging from a word from God with a closed Bible. Amen. Friends, listen to me. I, I, I'm reminded of this story. Cornell was pastoring in Cool Springs one time. They bought him a red Bible uh, for Christmas, and everybody started making fun of him about a red Bible. And he got up in the pulpit one Sunday, and he said, everybody's making fun of my red Bible. He said, but I see a lot of blackens out there that need to be read as well. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Friends, listen. It's time that we get back into the Word of God. So we're not stricken on the benches. So the tears can flow and hands can raise and we can hear shouts again. Amen. Uh, friends, listen, it's one thing to tell our children about it, to tell our grandchildren about it. It's another thing for them to experience it. Okay? Uh, when they experience it, listen to me, I'm going to tell you something, and I told you I'm running rabbits now. But when Jacob, when he was wrestling with the angel, and the Bible tells us that he wrestled all night long. The Bible says that finally the breaking of the day had come. The angel spoke to him. I believe that he was wrapped in the arms of Christ. And the Bible says that the angel spoke to him and said, Turn me loose. And he said, I'm not turning you loose till you bless me. And the Bible says the angel touched him on the hollow of his thigh and he put it out of joint. And, he, and listen, he walked all the rest of his days with a limp. I'm going to tell you something. It was one, pain, one thing for people to see him walk with a limp. But Jacob was reminded of it every step that he took. Okay? I'm telling you something. If you want to have an encounter with Christ, if you want to be forever changed, you've got to be able to yield yourself to the point that you're willing to accept whatever may come. Amen? If we could take after we're saved and we take a blank piece of paper and from a contractually binding agreement, we take a blank piece of paper, we sign it, we date it, and we hand it back to the Lord and you say, Lord, fill it in whenever, wherever I'll go. Amen? That's what He wants. He wants a servant. Alright, I've talked for 30 minutes. Y'all got anything that you want to add, cut in, say? And I... I know that I've jumped around a little bit, but I'm going to try and get back on track right here. Anybody else? All right. So listen, let's get to verse number two. Like I told you. <laughs> Do 30 minutes of verse. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Okay? But he that entereth in... Uh, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And a lot of times we, ha we paint this picture um, of salvation. But the establishment here uh, is we're really looking at this parable in context is that Christ is establishing that the church is inside. And he says, he that is the guardian, he that stands at the door is the shepherd of the sheep. All right, and, and the guardian of the sheep is not a title that is doled out. Uh, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter number 5, the Scripture says they searched heaven, they searched earth, they searched beneath the earth, and none was found worthy. John said, and I began to weep much because there was none found worthy. And he said there was a great angel laid his hand, right hand upon me and said, John, weep not for the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And John the Revelator said, he said, I looked into the midst of the four beasts and the 24 elders, and I seen a lamb as it had been slain before the foundation of the world. Friends, listen to me. This is not a title that, uh, that can be bought. This is not a title that can be sold. This is not a title uh, that we can barter on, but this is a title that was singularly earned 
by the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, the heaven-born, eternal-begotten Son of God. Okay? Uh, friends, listen. We were all tried. We were all examined. You, we need not think that... Uh, you say, well, preacher, I never had an opportunity and I never had a chance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did. Okay? Every one of you were examined. Every fiber of your being was uh, was examined, and I'm going to tell you something. As we pull from the book of Daniel, we'll say that thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Every one of us. Okay? We were lackluster. We did not have provision, what it took uh, to satisfy <clears throat> the redemption that was necessary for the sheep. All right. Verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he, uh, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. So we see uh, this parable is kind of broke up into two different uh, facets here. So we got like verse 1 through verse 5 where it's really indicative of the leadership uh, of the shepherd. And then we get through really, uh, well, verse 6 you got a break. And then uh, verse 7 through really the re remainder of this parable through about verse number 18, he stands as our safety, right? So we have, we have him from a leadership perspective, then we have him from a safety or a guardianship perspective. But the Bible tells us right here that he is providing leadership. He said, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his, vo uh, hear his voice, and he calleth his own uh, sheep by name. Okay? <laughs> Boy, this is important. I'm glad uh, that we are all individually known. Not only are we all, all individually known, we are all individually loved, right? With, with a boundless love, right? So uh, we must understand that He loves us, that He names us, He keeps us, He is our guardian, right? Uh, and the Bible gives us uh, absolute confidence in the fact that, if, that if, when we are in Christ... We are eternally secure. Period. Right? We see that. Uh, listen, we, we, and this is a, a verse that I quote often uh, in First Peter chapter number one. Uh, I'm gonna read this to you if I can find it real quick. First Peter chapter number one. He said, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away." Reserved in heaven, reserved in heaven, reserved in heaven, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Amen. So friends, listen to me. We see uh, what is the contingency uh, through faith unto salvation. Amen. And the Bible tells us when we see ourselves in this state, the Bible says that, uh, listen, that, that, that he, the sheep, uh, the sheep know uh, them. By, the shepherd knows them by name. The sheep hear his voice. We respond to him. Okay. So when they're staying in a herd and they're staying together and they're not straying off by themselves, finding themselves in unknown places, and we can go back over and we can draw from the parallel of Matthew chapter number nine, where the Bible tells us uh, that one strayed away from the ninety and nine. You remember this when when the, when the one strayed away and. Uh, the shepherd left the 90 and 9. A lot of people find reservation with that text, and they say, why would he leave them? But he left his staff, and he left them in the sheepfold, okay? Uh, friends, listen to me. They were confined in a place of safety, and the Bible says that he goes out, and of course we can apply history to this in context from the shepherd of what we understand and what we know. He would, he would take the sheep, and he would bind it up, most often, history tells us, and now listen, you can take this or not. This is what we've read and studied, and uh, some people believe it, some people don't. Uh, the strayed sheep break their legs, take the sheep, straddle it over his shoulders. He would anoint the sheep's legs with oil, and he would bind the wounds, and he would carry it back to the sheepfold. Okay? Friends, listen to me. We must understand there's consequence for following our own actions, okay? Uh, David had consequences for rape and murder, right? Yeah. Christians need to understand today uh, that, listen, 
that we don't have a free ticket and a license issued to us at the moment and point in time of salvation to sin as we please, okay? Paul wrote to us in, in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans uh, when, he, when he talks about this. He said, shall we continue in sin? He said, God forbid, okay? But friends, listen to me. We don't want to read the sixth chapter of Romans anymore. We just want sin, okay? Uh, we like to sin too much to stop it. Uh, but we must understand that there comes a place and point in time where there's a consequence for our actions, okay? And there's a lot of people say, well, uh, well, don't we hear this one often? You know Phil Robinson, the duck man? He, boy, he had a good quote about 10 years ago. He said, love sounds like hate to those who hate the truth, right? Right? I'm going to tell you something. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that because there's a lot of people out there, they'll, they'll always, they'll throw up uh, when Jesus, you know, they, they quote this passage. If they don't know any other verse in the Bible, they'll say, judge not, lest you be judged. I did a whole teaching on this. Read the rest of the chapter. Okay? So the Bible tells us, he said, judge not, lest you be judged. And then it goes on to tell us how to judge. Right? He said, if you have a mote in your eye, get it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Okay? He tells us how to prepare ourselves, amen, yeah. to face the judgment that we must execute. Yeah. That's what the Scripture is telling us. Yeah. What the Scripture is telling us not to do is to judge when we are unworthily, in a, in a state of unworthiness to judge ourselves. He said, get yourself right. Amen. But you've got to judge the house of God, but, but you must get yourself right first to do it. Yep. That's what the Bible says. That's what the whole thing says, right? But listen, we, we got lots of denominations that are one verse wonders, right? You know, they built whole churches in one verse, and that's where they stand today. They don't have anything else to stand on, but they got that one verse. That's why you take that entire canon of the Scripture in context from cover to cover, right? Take it all, you got to take it all. Amen? Not just a little bit here and a little bit there. What you like, what you don't like. you got to take it all. All right, I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to give you all time to talk if you want to say anything. So him, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own by name, and leadeth them out. <coughs> and when he putteth forth, uh, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So this is the leadership aspect that I was talking about. He goes before us. He leads us. He is our guardian, and he carries us. So we must understand that, uh, that we, why, 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 are cheap, uh, why, are the, why is the church called sheep? It's because we're built to follow the shepherd. Okay? Uh, but we must understand this. A shepherd that we serve, let's put the shepherd that we serve in context. Who is the shepherd? The shepherd, the Bible tells us, is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the King of kings. The Lord of lords. So, when we look in context of who the sheep are, in contrast to who the shepherd is, when, when uh, Jesus made the comment in Matthew 28, 18, He said, I have all power in heaven and in earth. Okay? So He is a limitless King of the eternal creation. All things are submissive to Him. He is the king of heaven, but he is our shepherd, right? So if the king of all kings and the king of heaven is our shepherd, then who are we as sheep, okay? So friends, listen, so let's look at who the sheep are in contrast to who the shepherd is, okay? So the Bible tells us that we have, we have kingdom authority. Ask, ask, seek. Knock! These are all active verbs. Amen. Hey, listen, you, you remember that one time? And listen, I'm not talking about that this is uh, absolutely uh, in its context applicable to today's time. 
But you remember when Jesus sent the disciples out in the seventy, and they came back, and they said, listen, even, even the demons, even the demons are subject unto our authority. Amen. You understand something? That still applies to the sheep of the kingly shepherd. Amen. So listen, this is what we need to understand. We as the people of God, we need to understand who we are and who our king is and the authority that we have. Amen. Because our king has gone and he's taken possession of his throne uh, until that great day when the reestablishment of the inaugurated kingdom shall come to a consummated end. Amen. And we will dwell, rule, and reign with him. Okay? That is coming. But what already is, and I know that your pastor has talked about this, the already but the not yet. Friends, listen, we need to understand, we need to grasp, and we need to take hold of what we already have. Amen? We have power to tread over serpents. We have authority over wickedness. We have authority over these things. Who do we have authority in? We have authority in our shepherd, Jesus. Because not only is he the good shepherd, he is the chief shepherd. Okay? Amen. I'm glad, friends, listen, that we have a good shepherd, a great shepherd, and a chief shepherd. Okay? And he leads us and he watches over us, but we need to understand who we are in him. And I think today that, uh, listen, I, this is just my own observation. I believe that. Uh, most of the modern church today that we have drawn back into our shell because we think that we are unauthoritative if we don't have anything we don't have anything to stand on listen if I've seen anything today in the church I believe that the church is on defense we're constantly on defense right uh, listen somebody says uh, that the that uh, this Bible is a myth a fable and a fairy tale well we all, we go on uh, we go on defense right Instead of playing, we have the ball, <laughs> okay? Uh, listen to me. We're not playing one-on-one -on -one and they didn't score. You don't have to check it and give it back, amen? Uh, friends, listen to them. Stop playing defense. We have the ball, okay? Uh, friends, listen, we need to lay the authority down that the Word of God is the Word of God. It always has been the Word of God and it always will be the Word of God. It is incontestable. Right, uh, As far as a historical dark document, we have more historical accuracy uh, in the Word of God than we, do, than we have in any other historical book that we have, right? Especially from archaic literature. When we look back at this, we see the proficiency. We see this, the, 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 the absolute necessity of the Word of God that it can't be unbound and it can't be unhinged in the church. Listen, we go off on this defensive path and we need to stand firm because we are God's sheep. He is our shepherd. He leads us. All right, I'm going to give way uh, for somebody to talk, anybody to talk, add to, take away. Well, <laughs> I've got a question, but that uh, first Peter is that pistols through fight? Yes. Okay. Sorry, sorry, yes, it is. Never realized that. It is. It absolutely is. Anybody else? Yeah. Right. You know, I meet people all the time and they've got their opinion and I've got mine, whatever. So if I don't believe their opinion or I don't believe in what they're thinking and I know that this book right here is the correct thing, I should be able to pull it out and say, No, this is the truth right here. Yes. On your on what they're saying on some of the and I know it's politics, but um I just it just drives me crazy. Well, they're Some coming to... people just can't yeah. grasp it. Like, I yeah. know right here in this book, I can explain to them, no, that is not the right, that's not the truth. This right here is the truth. Yeah. They're coming to... They're, sort of saying. they're coming to the argument that with the presupposition that this is not true. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That's how they approach the argument. Well, we, we approach the argument from a different angle, Right? 
so instead of trying to defend that this is true, we, we take the position that it is true, right? And so we turn the tables on. Uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to prove that this is true. You have to prove that this is false. Yes, that's what I was fixing to say. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, and and we get turned on our head that way. And, and, we, and we take the bait. Oh, I do. I do. Every time. I yeah. prove you how smart I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's easily done. It's hard, it's hard not to, right? It's hard not to defend it, but does it need defending? That's right. And all the absolutes come from the Scripture. Right? So, in reality, if you really back away from the conversation, they're on defense arguing the truth of the Scripture. But we don't pause long enough to understand what they're arguing. Right? So you're saying we shouldn't defend it? I mean, I know what you just said, but um, you should proclaim it. Okay. Well, I do. <laughs> this I do is the, the, okay. I, well, elementary example. If somebody says this is not true, right? Uh-huh. Well, the burden is not on you to prove its truth. The burden is on them to prove its faults. You didn't make the claim. They did. Right? So when you make a truth claim, now the burden of responsibility to prove the truth that you just claimed is on you, not on us. This is my this is my favorite statement too. That's a very bold truth statement you just said. Can you prove that to me? Yeah. You you just made a statement that you believe is true, strong enough that you said it out loud. Prove it. Yeah. Well, no, you got to prove to me. No, you. I didn't say nothing. <laughs> you assumed I thought something. Right. Yeah. 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 Let them walk in their own mud. Just throw water on them. So. Okay. Question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what you said though, there, and see that we're we're fighting. Uh, the marriage institution, male and female identity. All these are truth values from the word, right? That, like you said, the absolutes come from here, right? Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're making claims refuting this. It, it, I've taken the bait too many times to, to try and go help this, right? But the burden is still on them to prove that what they're saying is true. And, they, and, and it's impossible, right? Humanity would cease without male and female, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's just, there's, they are absolutes that are irrefutable. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, irrefutable truths, scientifically, biologically, right? So. It's kind of interesting sometimes how we find ourselves so locked in that conversation that it is a conversation, right? Because when you back away from it, the absurdity of the conversation is a little overwhelming sometimes, you know? Anybody else got anything? I like that part about us being sheep. (laughs) That's a beautiful thing, uh, Picture yourself to a herd of sheep. You know, you'd be kind of, I'd be smarter than a herd of sheep. You know, a sheep, 
it's a sheep. I'm a little bit smarter than that. <laughs> but I, I, I like I like the way he uses us on sheep. You know what I yeah. mean? Where would I be? I don't have no trouble relating to a sheep. Right. But anyway, uh, yeah. I just pray to God. Uh, you know, I'm a sheep. I gotta have a shepherd. Right. Think where you'd be if you didn't have no shepherd. Right. Well, that's just. Don't I just appreciate that. He bought me with a price. I just probably yeah. thought I was worth buying. What would I be if he didn't even want? No, I don't care for that. Just go ahead. I won't pay for him. Yeah. Boy, that's some good stuff about them sheep. Amen. We are his people. Yeah. The sheep of his pasture. A lot of people don't know. He owns you, brother. Yeah. He owns you. Yeah. You hear it. Right. God don't have to ask you about no. Reckon it'll be odd if I do this. <laughs> I love it, brother. Appreciate the good preaching. Amen. Appreciate everybody here listening to me. God bless all of you. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. Thank you, sir. Bless you, Patrick. Anybody else got anything? We'll keep moving until Stuart gets here. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things <clears throat> they were which he spake unto them. That was often the case. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, double amen again, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. What a declaration, right? I am the door of the sheep. Uh, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this I am, this ego am I, comes from Exodus chapter number 3. When Moses asked the question, you remember, uh, he said, well, who should I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am. Right? So this is Christ, the incarnate, the messianic king, making the proclamation that I have come to do the will of my Father, and I am He. Right? I am He which was spoken of by the prophets. I am. So, anyway, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Right? All that came before me are thieves and robbers. And boy, we could go on and on and on about that. And I tell you what, we've we've we are still living in a time um, where some people are still looking. Some people have never received what has already been given. Um, and the unfortunate circumstance comes down to it right here when Jesus makes this declaration. He said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, right? And so when we look at that in contrast and context of this right here, so what's, what... <clears throat> and this is probably going to be... You're not going to like to chew it when I say it uh, or hear it, right? So when Jesus is relaying the comments right here that... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, right? David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, all the minor prophets. They're thieves and they're robbers compared to who I am. <laughs> all that you've built, everything on, the precious Jewish elect lady that, that come and birthed the Messiah, Right? All that was before me has never been anything like me. Right? And he said, I am superior than all. And the pastor to the 
Hebrews, he said, I'm greater than Abraham. I'm greater than the angels. Greater than Isaac. I'm greater than Jacob. I'm greater than Melchizedek. Right? He is greater than all. All others before me don't even compare to who I am. Right? And these kind of statements that we read, we've heard them so much in church and we were taught them as a youth in Sunday school, and I'm thankful for my Sunday school upbringing, thankful for my teachers, I'm thankful for everything that I've been taught, instructed, and brought me to the place that I am right now. But we lose, uh, in today's society, it's, it's just the truth. The further we get away from the cross, uh, unless we put the time and effort into it, really put the time and effort into it, because listen, we live in this Western world, and the gospel, or the Americanized gospel uh, world, state that we live in uh, everything just kind of runs off our back we hear the cross so much that it's lost its fervor it's lost its necessity the cross the cross doesn't cultivate chill bumps and liver shivers you think about that in today's churches the when, when the cross is proclaimed in power and purity and authority and spirit and power, when the cross, when that declaration of the cross is made, it's, and I've already made mention of this, but it, it's so far from us to see weeping. Right? I'm talking about heartfelt weeping. To know that that is our substitution that hung on the cruel, rugged cross. Hell should be our home. The effectivity of the ransom of Calvary has lost its fervor in today's church. And we say, and we look around and we say, well, what's wrong? That, that primarily, singularly, is what is wrong. When the cross no longer affects us, we've got a problem. And I believe that, and I, and I mean that. And uh, boy, I, I wish that we could just come back to the cross. Now, uh, are all these other secondary and tertiary things that we do at the church, uh, I'm for them. Amen. As long as we're not out of the Bible, I'm for them to get people to the house of God. Amen. I want, but listen, why are we getting them here? Because I want to carry them to the cross. Carry them to the cross. If we don't get them to the cross, it don't matter what we've done to get them here, right? Because we didn't get them everywhere. We didn't go the whole full extent of where we should be. We've got to get them to Calvary. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out. And find pasture. And we've already talked about this word saved. This right here is different. This is a different Greek word than the word soteria, which we often use. Uh, but this goes to show, and you know what? I got so carried away a minute ago, I didn't even read John 3.17. <laughs> Thought I forgot, didn't you? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in them should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Right? I'd always read this word saved as soteria. Right? So I'd always read this word in salvific relationship that this, that this word was indicative of a ransom. But what this word is really indicative of is, listen, He said He came not to condemn the world as a villain, but the Bible says, but he came uh, to the world that, th that the world through him might be saved, that he could be the guardian and the king of it. Okay? Uh, listen, and I tell you, and to me, that just gives the scripture an entirely different flair. Okay? And the understanding and the meaning. Listen, both of them, both aspects are wonderful, right? Uh, listen, the redeeming and the ransoming aspect is absolutely beautiful. But when we, when we expound upon the ransom redeeming effect and understand it as him as king and guardian. Okay? So now he is the ransom redeeming guardian king. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. That's our shepherd. Yeah. That right there, you want to talk about liver shivers, those give them to me. Amen? 
All right, let's look at verse. Anybody got anything else? All right, verse 10. This is very uh, often quoted and familiar passage. The thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He came to slaughter and destroy us. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. More abundantly. The Greek word Parisian is what is used for the term abundantly, and it means that which goes far beyond necessity. Okay? So the Bible says that he, the thief cometh not. The thief, the enemy, right? What is his primary focal point and goal in this world? His main objective is to come, slaughter, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal everything. That, listen, and that's not just... Uh, physically, I believe that that is monetarily. I believe that it's emotionally. I believe it applies to our faculties, to our physicality. I believe it plays into health. I believe it plays into every fiber of our being. He came not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Anything that He can do, Dwayne Voles, back uh, when I was, before I started pastoring and uh, was going to Chester, Dwayne Voles' grandfather, he was well in his 90s, and uh, he would testify all the time. I mean all the time. And uh, his testimony every time was, he said, you know, he'd been saved, I forget, it was 80-something years. He said, I've been saved 80-something years. God put my feet on a rock. He said, I've slid all over it, but I never fell off. What a wonderful testimony that is. Amen. Because the enemy, if you're serving God, the enemy will come. But, John said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? We have authority. We have kingdom authority. Does that mean that we will always uh, never... Inc- Listen to me. I, and A lot of people that know me know that my grandfather was my, my father figure in my life. He raised me. I, I, don't, I don't... In my opinion, never been a better man to walk the earth than him. I've seen him serve his church faithfully and loyally. I've seen, I seen him stand with the shepherd, with the under-shepherd, with the man of God through thick and thin. I've seen the fights. I've seen the mountaintops. I've seen the valleys. I've seen the blood. I've seen the sweat. I've seen the tears. I've seen war breaches out uh, in the altars praying that God would bring peace where there was disharmony. Amen. And then I saw the, the greatest man in my life who I'd seen him serve God faithfully for many, many years, all of my days. I've seen him stuck in with Parkinson's disease, his faculties stripped from him, his mind stripped from him, didn't know my name. But he could still tell you about the day he got saved. Friends, listen to me. We need to understand today that, uh, listen, just because we're saved does not remove, remove all the things that can come against us, right? It doesn't mean we're not saved. Paul, listen to me, Paul was Shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned, blind. History tells us that he was blind, that his faculties were so poor and broken from being stoned many times. Listen, most of his latter epistles, he couldn't even write himself. He just spoke them as he had a pensman write his words. Because he couldn't see, he couldn't hold a pen, but he could still preach. I fought a good fight, kept the faith, and I finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day. Amen. Not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. Second Corinthians chapter 5, he said, I know this. He said, I know if this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, I have a building of God not made with hands eternal in the heavens. He said, I long to be clothed with my home from heaven. He said, but yet, he said, I'm going to stay here with you for a little while. Amen. That was his burden. That was his desire. So we get to this right here, but we see that uh, we know that it's the thief's objective to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. Amen. That they might have life. Life. 
not darkness, not death, but life. And that they might have it more abundantly. That they might have more than their necessity ever requires. My voice is running out. I'm going to do one more verse and we're going to look at each other until Stuart gets here. (laughs) Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I believe that's a good place to stop, don't you? I am the good shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, I'm the chief shepherd. Hebrews chapter number 13, he said, I'm the great shepherd. But the Bible says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He is substitutionary. Listen, he's not a replacement. He's not a representative. He stood in our place. He stood in our place. He did not become my sin, but he assumed the penalties of my sin and he stood as my substitute on the cross of Calvary and they didn't take his life he laid it down amen thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight brother Will appreciate each and every one of you being here and thank you for taking the time to listen to me